Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by site co-experts Lucas Johnson and Chris Klein. Welcome to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson, with my co-host here, Christopher Klein, and our producer, Uriah Young. Hey, fellas, how are we doing tonight? Doing well. We got a new coach, gentlemen. New coach. Bring him in. Yeah. And while he is a doctor, he's not the Dr. J, but he is Doc Rivers. So we have a lot to talk about regarding Rivers. Chris, go ahead and take it away. Yeah, so obviously we're going to start off the podcast talking about Doc Rivers. Um, the Sixers signed him to a five-year contract to be their next head coach in place of Brett Brown. Um, Lucas, obviously Rivers has a pretty extensive resume. He is 943 and 681 as a head coach across about 20 years in the league. He's the 11th winningest coach of all time. And he obviously won a championship with Boston in 08. What do you think it was about Doc Rivers' resume that impressed ownership, the front office, and that made Philadelphia want to bring him in? I mean, you you named off a lot of stuff there to begin with. But Doc Rivers is more than just a coach that knows X's and O's. And he's pretty good with that for the most part. Except maybe in this past playoffs against the Nuggets. Because, well, we saw what happened there. But overall... Um, you know, I think it's more the person and the type of charisma that he can bring to this team. One thing that Doc Rivers is known famously for is getting players to buy into their roles and accountability. You definitely saw that with the Celtics back when he was with them. Uh, Kendrick Perkins, uh, as a TV head now, constantly says that Doc Rivers stopped him from being an all-star. And let's be clear, Kendrick <laughs> Perkins, you never had any potential of becoming an all-star. I'm calling you out right now. You you were never yeah. going to be an all-star. No. The most you could do is occasionally make a three-pointer on 2K uh, 2007, because I know I did that sometimes. Um, but, nah, you weren't going to be an all-star. That being said, he had the mentality for it, and you know every player, sh- I think most players do. 
And the fact that Doc Rivers got a 24-year-old, you know, hard-headed Kendrick Perkins to buy into his role as a defensive maker, same thing with DeAndre Jordan and other players in the past. I think that uh, that's a big, you know, and even the superstar Hall of Famers like Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett, you got them to buy into their roles, you know, give up a little bit each of their individual game. I think that that was probably the biggest selling point because this Sixers team, especially with Joel and Ben, they haven't been been held accountable. And uh, Joel's conditioning is a big part of that. And Ben's lack of, you know, unwillingness to shoot three-pointers is another big part. I think in that regard, Rivers, I think that that was the overall selling point that, uh, I mean, personally for me as a, as a fan, loves about Rivers. Yeah, um, I, I think you, you hit it right on the head, Lucas. Obviously, Doc Rivers is extremely accomplished as a coach in this league. His reputation goes without saying. He's someone players, front offices, everyone is going to respect. Coaches are going to respect him a great deal. Um, and, and he's a good coach by all means. I think he's a tremendous basketball mind. All of that. I wasn't quite as enthusiastic as I know you were about Rivers. Um, I think as soon as he got fired from L.A., I, you know, I kind of rolled my eyes. I was like, oh, God, you know, but um, he's a good coach. He's fine. It, it's not a bad move by any by any means. Um, yeah, his resume is his resume. It, it, it's hard to get better than that. And we'll we'll see how he does. I'm I'm very excited to see see what he does with this team on the court. But Lucas, how surprised were you by I guess how fast this all happened? Because by all indications, Mike D'Antoni was pretty much a shoe in like a week ago. Then as soon as Doc gets fired from LA, within like an hour, he's connected to Philly, and within a few days he's the next head coach on a five year contract. Adrian Mojanowski said that he was on a plane from L.A. to Philadelphia within 24 hours of being fired. Why do you think that happened so quickly? How do you think Philly maybe appealed to him? And and what, what's your read on that situation? In terms of how quickly it turned around, yeah, I was a little surprised. I thought it was going to take probably into the weekend for it to happen, but it happened quickly, and that's fine, too, with me. In terms of Mike D'Antoni, um, I think Mike D'Antoni was ownership ship's safe bet, and that was the plan. I think I think we all knew that that was kind of the plan with uh, D'Antoni back uh, back in 2016 when you know Brian Colangelo was brought in. I think that was a strong possibility back then. In terms of how Rivers supplanted D'Antoni, I think well the resume speaks for himself. I mean, res- in terms of resume, Doc Rivers just has a um, better resume. And I think I mean we talked about this last week. It's no secret that. Rivers, I mean, D'Antoni's system wouldn't necessarily favor Ben or Joel in a, in a strong, particularly strongly. So the Sixers roster was going to have to go uh, some major overhauls and possibly even with their core. If D'Antoni came on, uh, Doc Rivers, you, I mean, you should, should still make changes, but I mean, you don't have to change the core. I, Doc Rivers doesn't have that. Doc Rivers can work around the stars that he has. He's done it in Boston, Orlando, and even uh, the Clippers. He's had two iterations of stars, and he's changed his system to fit the player's skill sets versus, you know, having a set system. And I think that's a big win for the Sixers there in terms of front office. And he's a he's a, mm-hmm. a he's a known commodity. I think, Antonio, you have some bad, you know, 
marks on his record with uh, New York and uh, L.A., but, you know, Doc has been successful no, ma- no matter where he's gone, and I think that's a big plus for ownership there. Yeah. So I, I've obviously voiced my support of D'Antoni in the past. I think the Sixers really need, you know, a shock to the to the system, you know, a foundation-shaking change, and I think D'Antoni would have provided that. I think he could have made it work with Joe and Ben, honestly. I think he's capable of doing that. Obviously, that's in the past now. I, I think we have to mention the fact that the Sixers coaching search was, uh, to put it lightly, you know, BS. Like, they interviewed maybe the four biggest names available, and that's all they did. They were connected to Billy Donovan, Ty Lu, Mike D'Antoni, and then Doc Rivers as soon as he got fired. Those are maybe the four most obvious names possible. Jay Wright. Those are the only four names that were really ever seriously connected to them. Obviously, Jay Wright at the beginning, and he quickly dropped out. It just reeks of like zero creativity, zero effort, frankly. They haven't fired anyone in the front office, and now a new report from Keith Pompey says they probably aren't going to fire anyone. They're just going to reshuffle the decks, which I think we all knew was coming, but we mm-hmm. were all kind of holding out hope. It's really disappointing, and it's really sad that, that it, this is how... You know, the direction this offseason is going to go does not give me a ton of hope. Again, I, I really fear that Doc Rivers is pretty much just kind of a lateral move from Brett Brown. Great coach. I understand that. But I think Brett was a pretty good coach, too. We'll see what Elton Brand can do with this roster. I, I don't think Rivers is the best coach. I think he has some pretty significant flaws that have kind of doomed the Clippers multiple times over the past, you know, eight or so years. So... I'm not too incredibly thrilled about this. I would have maybe stuck with D'Antoni as a favorite where I in Elton Brand's shoes or ownership shoes, but but I'm not. So it is what it is. I'm excited to see what Doc does. He's obviously a great person, great coach, you know, like a name brand, which is very rare for, for an, even an NBA coach. But... So, uh, I, uh, so I want to add two things. One, I think he was there for seven seasons. Uh, okay. But you're right. You know, the thing with his son was a major thing, and then him being charged with the front office obviously did not work out. But yeah, I mean, that hey, being said, we we've been kind of touting Doc Rivers over the past few days, just in the Sixers fandom in general as a players coach. I understand that. Obviously, he's, he's someone that people respect. But he completely lost the Clippers locker room this past season. By the end of that playoff run, by the end of that Denver series, it's pretty clear that no one got along there. Uh, obviously, some of that is on Paul George, and some of that mm-hmm. is probably on Montrezl Harrell and other guys. But really- it's pretty clear that he couldn't hold those guys together. His coaching decisions played a pretty big role in Denver coming back. He stuck with some pretty egregious rotational decisions that just were not working at all. Um, and his lack of adjustments is something we've criticized Brett Brown on for years. Doc just refused to adjust in that series, and it killed them. So I, I think there's some worrying similarities there. Um, again, Rivers is a good coach, but I don't know if he's the coach to solve whatever's going on in Philly. Just frankly, well, I'm not I, sure I, if I see it. I, like I said, I think the, accountab- the accountability that he can bring to, you know, Certain situations, and I, I don't think McDantoni has that same ability that Doc Rivers does. Okay. But, but again, uh, with the Clippers, I mean, there was all, there have been reports of like preferential treatment being given to Kawhi and Paul George, and that kind of rubbing people the wrong way. So his record definitely isn't perfect in that respect. 
So was that I'm, I'm was that on Doc or was it, was that on Doc or was that on, on ownership though? Because you know how Steve Ballmer. I mean, it could be on ownership. It could be on the front office. But Doc is also the guy in that locker room. He's going to be around those guys more often than like mm-hmm. the GM or even Steve Ballmer. So I I think it's at least worth proceeding with some caution. Um, we we may not know for sure exactly how the dynamics were in that locker room, but it's definitely something I'm I'm not enthused by. So so, and uh, I'm just gonna add, end this on this subject is, is that if you're worried about the offense, Chris, good news is that they got the second best offensive savvy coach in the whole entire NBA, uh, possibly coming in as an assistant. And uh, uh, gosh, I just blanked on his name for some reason. Alvin Gentry. Um, Oh, Gentry. Not, Sorry. Alvin Gentry, yes. Alvin Gentry's been rumored to be a target of Doc Rivers' uh, coaching staff. Alvin Gentry has had some very good offenses with the Suns and Pelicans as their head coach and as the Warriors as their assistant. So in that regard, I think the Sixers' offense is going to be in much better shape, too, if he does come on. Sure. Very similar. Very similar to – he. Dan, he he doesn't fully embrace what D'Antoni does, but he does a lot of similar things. So I think the Sixers' offense will be fine. But moving on into you know, let's move on here. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about Doc Rivers' priorities as the head coach. What Chris? What do you think Doc Rivers will start to improve on with the Sixers? You know, this uh, in um, particular. Yeah. So who knows? It, it's pretty. It, obviously, I think the first thing he needs to do is like tell Elton Brand to trade some dudes because the Sixers really aren't going anywhere if they can't make pretty substantial changes to the roster. Al Horford obviously sticks out like a sore thumb. You know, the Sixers need to get someone who can create off the bounce, make quick decisions, really lift up that half-court offense. If they can do that, if they can get a Chris Paul, who we've talked about endlessly on this podcast, or go for like a volume shooter like Buddy Heald, that would help quite a bit. But in terms of like system... System-wise, I, I think Doc is maybe better prepared than Brett was to get something out of Ben Simmons in the half court. I think we can draw some parallels there between um, Ben and Blake Griffin in the L.A. years. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, they're very different players, but I could see um, Ben doing more work from the elbow, hitting cutters on, you know, stuff like that. I think Doc could, could really make good use of him there for sure. Um, Tobias Harris had the best year of his career under Doc Rivers. I think that's notable. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN again reported that that was part of ownership's thinking is that, you know, they've committed $180 million to Tobias Harris. So whether we like it or not, he's a main component of this team for the foreseeable future. And you might Mm -hmm. as well do what you can to get the most out of that investment. So hopefully Doc Rivers helps in that, that respect. Uh, So that, that's probably where I would, I would start with if I was trying to analyze you know, what Doc could do as head coach. Yeah, I'm going to definitely say that, that those would be some big things. I think we're going to see a lot more pick and rolls with uh, Ben and Tobias because I think they're, and I wrote about this uh, in the hiatus, that uh, they're two of the best role men on the Sixers roster. And I think that Doc Rivers is a strong believer in the pick and roll. I think we'll see that. Obviously, personnel has to play a factor into that. But if they get the right personnel to run, I, I certainly see the Sixers... Using that, using the their strengths as rollers for sure. Um, actually, surprisingly enough, my research showed that Joel's not great at the pick and roll. But overall, I think the other um, and this kind of uh, 
brings in me to my next question for you, Chris. But uh, I think the biggest improvement is that he's going to instead of trying to make us, Brett Brown tried to make the players fit his system, and I think Doc Rivers is going to make the system fit uh, fit his players. So I think that's a big thing that we're going to see this season. With the, the one of the biggest uh, improvements that. Rivers is going to make, but Chris, let me ask you, what do you think is the biggest obstacle for uh, Doc Rivers? Yeah, I mean, again, it's the same thing. It's got to be the personnel. Um, we'll see what changes the Sixers can manage this offseason. I'm frankly not super optimistic, again, with the front office being the exact same as it was last summer. Um, obviously, the, the power dynamics are going to shift a little bit, or so we're told. Maybe it will be more on Elton Brand's shoulders alone, but even so, they're going to need to shake it up somehow. They they need to get some ball handlers and some shooters into this rotation. And if they can't, maybe Doc Rivers can find more creative ways to kind of work with what they have. But if they can't make that like serious foundational change to the rotation, I don't think they're going anywhere just because this isn't a team built for success in 2020. It's just not going to happen. So I think you bring up a very valid point and it's almost my number one, but I think the number one problem for doc rivers is going to be getting Ben to shoot. And I think he can do it. I honestly think he can. Cause like I said, in the beginning, he's had a track record of getting players to buy into what the team needs them to do. And if rivers believes that Ben needs to shoot for this team to be successful, he's going to get Ben to buy into that role, whether Ben likes it or not. Because that's what Doc Rivers has done yeah. in the past. I mean, look, I, I, I'm I, not going to say Ben shooting is insignificant because it's not. But I really, it has been such a minor problem, frankly, for like over the past year or two. It's just not like the main plague for the Sixers team. It would be nice if he shot, obviously. But he's never going to be a volume shooter. That's just not his mentality. I don't think any coach is going to get that out of him. And as nice as it would be for Ben to maybe take a couple corner threes every game, until he starts making those on a consistent basis, defenses aren't going to treat him any differently. So it's not really going to change how they defend Joel or how they defend other people on the roster. So while it would be great if Ben started shooting threes, don't get me wrong, I, I really just don't think that's where the focus should be because uh, – I mean, Ben is a tremendous player as is, and Ben can contribute, I think, to a championship team as is. I don't think the Sixers need him to shoot to be great, and I don't think the Sixers are going to get him to shoot. So I don't I don't know. I think personnel just around Joel and Ben is infinitely more important than how Ben acquiesces to the guys around him. That's that's fair. You bring up a valid point, and I'm just going to say this: while it might be more important to get the you know the right personnel around those guys, it's going to be a harder task to get Ben to shoot versus finding those players. Is it? I mean, maybe. I think so. I don't. Think uh, you're right. Shoot. Your thoughts? So yeah, yeah, I I would agree with the the. I think that is the biggest thing that fans. I mean, not just fans in the Philly area, but remember, there's fans in Australia that follow Ben, that have followed him from the moment he stepped on the court in LSU, is can he transcend and make it to the next level? Brett Brown was not able to do that. So the the hope is for every fan across the globe who, who wants Ben Simmons to ex- excel is will he have the confidence to shoot? And I think 
I agree that I think that's his biggest obstacle is how does he reach this this all-star player, all-defensive player, and make him believe that him shooting and taking those risks outside of his comfort zone can not just benefit him, but but the team. I think to me that's his biggest obstacle. Is how does he reach Ben? Okay, so not I, saying that I, your I your point is yeah, it's not saying that your point is invalid because it is because it's going to be hard. You know, that's probably the more important thing to focus on. But getting Ben to shoot is going to be the harder task between yeah. the two. Look, I think at this point Ben is who he is. You know, we can talk about him transcending to another plane of existence, but I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. He might, by the end of his career, be shooting a few threes every game. But I think at his core, Ben is a guy who's going to do the majority of his damage either in transition or in the paint. Maybe that doesn't fit that well with Joel Embiid, but we've seen them make it work in the past. We know for a fact that with a logically constructed roster that it can work. We've seen it happen before. We know it's possible. And Ben is like a top 20 player, as is. He's one of the best defenders on the planet. He's amazing on offense without a jumper and in an offense that really does not suit his talents. So I, I think we're maybe underselling what he is right now and overselling his ceiling for the future. I don't think Ben's ever going to be like an MVP candidate, a top five guy. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think, you know, maybe when they drafted him, that's what we thought his ceiling was. But it's not. He, he's never going to be that kind of volume perimeter scorer. It's just it's his mechanics are nowhere near, you know, that being even like a, like possible. And I don't think he's ever going to make the adjustments necessary to get it there. So I think we really just have to look at Ben for what he is and, and fit the roster around them. And that's my view on it. Yeah. So we're going to move on and talk about Doc Rivers some more um, and his potential impact on the organization. Lucas, how do we think the players should feel about being coached by Doc Rivers as opposed to Brett Brown? Um, we can obviously focus mainly on Embiid and Simmons here, but even someone like Tobias, who has, who has more experience um, under Doc Rivers. So how do you think the players feel about this? Let me just say, and I think this is going to be under, we haven't really talked about this, but I think that a guy like Josh Richardson's going to love this move. Because Josh Richardson's all about accountability, calling people out. That's what Doc Rivers does, and I think that Josh Richardson's going to love this move. I think Tobias Harris is going to love this move because it's a former coach, and his former coach that made him play the best of his career and got him that big, helped him get that big contract. So I think that that's a big a point that we can't miss there either. Uh, Joel, Joel's already. You know, he tweeted about out about how he was ecstatic about the move. Go on Twitter, people. You'll see it. He's very excited about the move. He welcomed Doc Rivers to Philadelphia. I think this move helped uh, soothe out whatever frustrations Joel had with the organization. So I think that's a win there. And obviously, I think mm. Ben and Joel had to sign off on this move or else it wouldn't have happened. I think Brand's not stupid. He wants to get his, you know, two superstars to co-sign on this move. We already know that Joel in the past had co-signed on Mike D'Antoni, so I think that he would it would be foolish to not think that they signed off on this move. So we'll see what happens. But I think those two in particular had to sign off on the move or else this doesn't happen. Yeah, I definitely think Joel signed off on it. Do I think that jo- this like puts Joel in the Sixers? Do I think this makes Joel completely happy with the organization? No. Um, I, I think it's 
still pretty clear from his tweets that Joe is, you know, at least poking fun at the front office. Um, it has been all all off season ever since the Sixers got eliminated, and Jimmy Butler has gone on the run that he's gone on. Yeah. I, I don't think Doc Rivers is going to solve all of those issues. I think the Sixers still need to do what they can to put a better team around Joel because I don't think his happiness, quote-unquote, is going to last forever. I think they're, you know, the clock is ticking for the Sixers mm-hmm. to figure this crap out or, or Joe's going to ask out or, or something's going to happen. This- they really only have two more seasons because he's going to be a free agent in three years. So they yeah. really only have two more seasons to fix this. So as Joe has tweeted out and said constantly that he wants to finish his career in Philly, that he wants to finish his career next to Ben Simmons, et cetera, et cetera. If they don't figure it out, if they can't make any serious changes this summer, if they don't get past the second round next season, at some point it's just going to wear on Joel. He, he wants to win. We know that his mindset is geared towards winning, and if the Sixers can't do that, if they continue to be incompetent around him, I don't think Doc Rivers is going to say much. Um, but as as for the initial question, I kind of got off track there. Um, yeah, I think Joel is probably happy with this move. I'm sure Ben's probably happy with this move. I I think Doc Rivers is someone who stylistically can get a lot out of both of them in different ways. I think Tobias is probably ecstatic. I think Josh Richardson, like you said, is probably ecstatic. He called out Brett Brown straight up mm-hmm. and said that, People weren't held accountable this season. You know, he's a nice guy, but, you know, he, he's maybe not the right guy. He pretty much just said that. So yeah. we, we know how he felt about Brett. Um, again, Doc Rivers is Doc Rivers. I mean, there are very few coaches who have, like, a cachet name like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are going to listen to him. So I do think, generally speaking, the players will be excited, and they will buy in, and they will do what they need to do. But... If that's enough to like make them better long term, uh, we'll we'll see. I think that's more in the front office than than on Doc. That that's fair. I think you bring up a good point. It is on the front office, but I think Doc does help make them feel better about it. But he obviously doesn't fix everything. Mm-hmm. So, do we think the fans, Lucas, should be ecstatic and excited, or do you think they should have more of a wait and see attitude with regard to Doc and and his aptitude as head coach well we kind of talked about this earlier because you know i'm excited about this i think it's a great hire i think it's the best hire they could have made this offseason based on the candidates you you obviously didn't want to guy. i mean maybe billy donovan could have slightly been better but honestly mm. I, I you know i i think either him or uh billy billy or doc were probably the two best candidates you know i'm not high on mike Antony, but uh mm-hmm I mean, there's going to be fans that are both uh, that feel either way, but I think the majority of fans are ec- ecstatic uh, based off of what we see on our Twitter and Facebook pa- uh, pages. I think that most of them are ecstatic. Whether they should be wait and see, that's wait, you know, that's yet to be determined. But uh, I'll I'll let you take the wait and see one because I know you're leaning more towards that. Yeah, yeah. So the Sixers have essentially shot all my optimism into the sun. It really doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. So oh, Chris, from that perspective, it, I'm I'm not really gonna get too excited about anything <laughs> this team does until they give me a reason not to have that outlook on things. Um, let me ask you, what Again, would make what would make you feel better about the Sixers? What would make you less cynical? 
I, I, I mean, if they traded for Chris Paul or if their coaching search didn't involve the four most like obvious, clear as day, like big names possible, if they actually interviewed, would you, would you have been like a Wes they... Jr. or a Becky Hammond or Don Staley, and they like went out of their way Sam to Cassell. interview Sam Cassell, if they had actually like really did a thorough search and brought a ton of different guys and girls in and really looked for for maybe a candidate who can who can you know i mean they could be like the clippers just, uh, interviewed like 20 people but still haven't decided hey lucas yeah. hey, hey, hey lucas i think um we were talking earlier uh i think bringing back lob city would make chris happy we reunite chris paul and jj reddick and i think that might make chris feel better would yeah. it chris would it make you feel better Hey, if if Chris Paul and JJ Reddick are on the team next year, my I would be significantly more optimistic. <laughs> and Blake Griffin, Blake Griffin, Blake Griffin, Lob City, yeah, Blake Griffin. Why not? You know, Horford is dead money at this point. So if you can flip Al for Blake and <laughs> Tobias for CP3, that somehow miraculously worked. You know, why not? I'm not sure if it. They could if they mortgaged the draft future. Yeah, we. I doubt it would be possible, but it'd be more interesting than what whatever is currently, you know, it'd be more interesting than the alternative, I guess is the best way to put it. But we'll see. Fair I enough. I didn't mean it's... to I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt your previous thing. I just. Yeah, no, <laughs> I again, I, I just don't think Rivers is that exciting as a candidate. I mean, he's Doc Rivers, but at the end of the day, he's I, I don't really see the upside i think he's just a solid you know good top 15 coach in the league and probably not much more than that a guy who has some serious question marks after the last seven years in la um he won a championship in boston and people are going to reference that all the time but the nba has changed so much over the past 12 years that you know not every coach that was great 10 years ago is great now Phil Jackson was great with the Lakers and the Poles. wasn't so hot at the end of his career. So things change. Basketball changes. Doc is still, again, a good coach. I want to emphasize that. I don't know if he's a great coach. So I'll wait and see. I'll wait and see what he does, and I'll wait and see what the front office does. But that's my view on it. So I think nobody really brought this up, but this is going to be fun to have Doc Rivers coach against the Celtics after all these years, like four times a year. Is anybody yeah. else not hyped about that besides me? Yeah, I mean, no, I mean they're. I mean, KG is retired. Paul Pierce is retired, and Ray Allen's retired. I mean, I mean, I doesn't I resonate with me. I mean, I, I get that, but at the same time, it's just kind of like I don't know. It's like it's a throwback, but I, I guess, like I said, I guess I'm just the only one excited about that type of matchup. But we're gonna go ahead and move on from Doc Rivers to potential offseason moves. So, Chris. How legit are the chances that the 76ers would trade either Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons this offseason? Um, if I had to put it in like a numerical term, like a percentage, I'd say the chances of them trading Joe are pretty much zero. And I'd say the chances of them trading Ben are probably like 5% at the most. I, I doubt it. Um, you know, if something comes up, where James Harden all of a sudden is like, I want out of Houston. You know, okay, then we maybe consider trading Ben. I, I wouldn't. Or if Damian Lillard is like, I want out of Portland. Then we can talk about it. But unless 
something of that nature comes up, unless Giannis is trying to like break down the door and get out of Milwaukee, I I just doubt they're going to even consider it. Um, as for if they should consider it, no. <laughs> I've I've been on the record many times about my you know I think they can work together, and I think they're an extremely talented duo. I think they fit well enough on the court to lead a championship caliber team it's about the guys you put around him so we'll see but uh, yeah i don't think they get traded um so yeah no i'm gonna say about five percent for either one though i yeah you mean you have talked about this off the air but um i'm more inclined to trade joel than ben just based off the modern nba but either way i don't think you should trade them and i don't think they will and i think it's five percent but like well, maybe I'll say I'll say two point five percent. I'll say that that's that's the percentage that I would give them trading either one of their superstars. I will say um, that I think before last season, the main argument for you know maybe prioritizing Ben over Joe was injuries, but this past season, Ben got knocked up a good bit and mm-hmm. got hurt on multiple occasions, and wasn't that reliable down the stretch, and obviously missed the Celtics series. So I think there's some more question marks there than there were before. And that might make that choice a bit murkier for the front office. Aside from the fact that Joe is still clearly the better player. I'm like, oh, yeah, Joe. NBA or not, Joe is just on a different level. They're both great. Ben is, again, probably top 20 in my book, which is a high praise. High, mm-hmm. like, very high praise. But Joe, Joe's a different beast. Joe's top 10, Ben's top 5. I mean, top 20. Yeah. Top yeah. Not top five, everybody. Top wow, 20. Lucas. Hot take. <laughs> no, thank you. No hot takes for me today. I don't have any in stock right now. But um, moving on. So we know that we're pro- they're probably not going to trade either one of their stars. But what's the likelihood that you think they can trade either Al Horford or Tobias Harris this offseason? Okay. I'll put Al Horford at like 60%. I think he's gonna. they're going to do what they can to trade him. It's going to be whether or not another team is tempted or willing to take on that contract. But of the two, you know, between him and Tobias, I think Horford's contract is much more tradable. Um, Tobias, I'll put it at like 8%. Or I, mm. I don't think they're going to trade him. Um, they might try to, but it seems again that they hired Doc with Tobias in mind, and that probably speaks to their confidence level. Or, or the, you know, in their ability to trade Tobias, I just don't think anyone's going to go near that contract. It might be the worst in basketball. Now you can point to like Westbrook or John Wall in Washington, but those Blake guys Griffin. have fewer years on their contracts. So, you know, Tobias still has four more years at like thirty-five million per, which is insane for someone who is like an average starter at best in the playoffs. So. Again, I keep saying that, but I think Tobias is probably here next season. And Al is probably, if I had to put money on it, which I will not, gone. But I don't think it's a guarantee that Al is gone. His contract is not great either. And I don't think there are a ton of teams where he really makes a ton of sense. So the Sixers are going to have to do some some of the legwork there. Yeah, so I think I would put trading Al about 50-50 as a toss of a coin. And it just depends on if a front office or team really needs him. I think the the Rockets could use him. I think that he would help their chances for sure. It just depends. Um, that's for sure. 
on what the yeah. what each front office thinks of Al Horford if they think that oh well this is just a bad situation for Al if yeah. he's and here I'll, he's yeah go ahead yeah I'll say this we're recording this Sunday night Doc Rivers introductory press conference is tomorrow at 1 p.m. I'll be very interested to hear what he has to say about Horford because I'm sure he'll get asked about it and I think we could maybe a lot of that will be PR speak but we might be able to learn something from what talk you know his perspective on that situation is for sure but uh Tobias I put it at a at a 2.5 I think you're you hit yeah. the nail right on the head with bringing in Doc Rivers they're going to try to make it run it with Al Horford uh, Tobias Harris because like you said he's probably a top five worst contract in the NBA I don't think he's number one because he's actually still productive uh you know John I mean, Wall's so not is playing right I mean yeah but Westbrook you have to build a team around to make him work Tobias Harris, you can plug him into a lot of situations and he works. Just not great in this particular one uh, this past year because he was playing out of position. And they were asking him to create off the dribble too much, which isn't his strength. Um, Fair enough. And, but to, like I said, you know, you got guys that are injured that aren't terrible contracts like Blake Griffin and John Wall. I would certainly put them worse than their contracts currently worse than uh, Tobias Harris's. That being said, um, I think it's a 2.5% that Harris gets approved. I just don't. I mean, I've written about a potential Tobias Harris trade here and there, but it just doesn't seem likely. I think Al Horford, like I said, it just depends on what front offices think he still has something left in the tank and that he could. He's that missing. I think Al Horford is going to be traded either as a salary dump for a team that has cap space like the Hawks or the Cavs or the Pistons, or, you know, he's going to be traded to a contender that think they're one piece away. They're Al Horford piece away from winning a championship, like maybe the Rockets or the, uh, or the Golden State Warriors, something like that. So some team like that. I think those are those type of landing spots that Al Horford's going to be in. But uh, so I guess the last part of this section that I want to ask you about, Chris, is this. What are some of the, what are who are some of the players that Sixers should could seriously go after in trades and free agency to improve the roster this offseason? Anybody that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, obviously the like big three are going to be Buddy Hield, Chris Paul, and Drew Holiday. Those are kind of like the hallmark, ideal, mm-hmm. you know, wishful thinking trades. Um, yeah. I think Buddy Hield's probably the most likely. Uh, we've seen the reports of him not answering Luke Walton's calls, which I really don't blame him. Um, Luke Walton's so, uh, not that great of a coach. He's an actively terrible coach. So mm-hmm. I think Buddy Hill is, could be had. I think that's the destination to watch with regard to Al Horford. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's Sacramento and Buddy Hill, which has kind of been like where Sixers fans' heads have been at for a while, but now it seems like legit. Like that's probably their best shot um and chris paul if you can like package al josh and some picks for him you do it uh that will just depend on whether or not the heat or bucks or whoever want him more uh because they could all put together more appealing packages frankly cp3 really just depends on how confident other teams are in him a elevating them to title contention and b being good still at you know 36 or however old he is but i think those are probably the two names to watch in terms of big trades smaller trades you know you you got spencer dinwiddie 
uh, Dennis Schroeder, guys like that. If they can get another playmaker who can create off the bounce, that would help them a lot. Yeah, so I think, like you said, I think Buddy Heels most likely. I don't think the Sixers are going to be able to out. Uh, I don't think they're going to be able to outbid the Bucks for um, for Chris Ball. I just don't think that's possible. Drew Holiday. Um, I guess it depends on what Gabe, David Griffin's view of the roster is moving forward because he loves himself, Drew Holiday, and I I, I think it's going to take a king's ransom. Whoever's going to get Drew Holiday is going to have to overpay because David Griffin loves. Holiday and honestly, he has the leverage to make teams overpay. There's that. In terms of other players, I think, uh, and I just posted this this morning, I think a guy that the Sixers should definitely look into, uh, maybe not as their starter, but as a backup, Reggie Jackson. Yes, he's had injury problems the last couple of years. There's no denying that. But when he played for the Clippers under Doc, he played very well. And I think he could be that spark plug off the bench for the Sixers that Alec Burks was supposed to be. And I think they could get him for a vet, vet's minimum based off the fact that he's had an injury history. And, you know, he also wants to win. If he didn't want to win, he wouldn't have joined the Clippers this past uh, season after he got waived by the Pistons. So I think that that could be a, an underrated name to look at. Because with the Pistons, he was uh, the four, like, I guess, I guess the four plus seasons, because he played two half seasons with the Clippers. Uh, Pistons, but in the four fulls, I mean, he played four plus seasons with the Pistons. Uh, he averaged, I think, like around sixteen points and like five assists a game. Like it's, he's he's not a joke. Like he can score and he can create just well enough. I think he would be either a solid starter. I don't think he's the long term answer at point guard, obviously at thirty one, but he could definitely do some damage uh, in the short term. Yeah, for sure. I, I think. Jackson would be a fine um, addition in free agency. And we're I guess we're going to move on now to some former players who have had things to say either privately or on podcasts about the Sixers. And we're going to start with J.J. Redick, who was on All the Smoke this past week with Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes. And he said, and I quote, they, the Sixers, Effed up, not bringing me back, ma'am. The thing with Philly, though, it wasn't just about shooting. You need people in the locker room. You just need those guys. Um, Lucas, what are your thoughts on that quote? Is he correct? Does he have a point? And I guess the tagline here is, do you think the Sixers could hypothetically bring J.J. back via trade? Uh, no, I don't think. I, I think the Sixers would have to pay the overpay for JJ from the Pelicans. I think they like what he brings to the table. Um, but to quote a famous Key and Peele skit, they done messed up. AA Ron, obviously, there's no AA Ron here, but they, 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 the Sixers messed up. The Sixers messed up seriously. They done messed up, and he's uh, he hit the spot. You know, he hit it, hit it right on the head. He's one of those locker room guys. When he first got to the Pelicans last summer, he took. Zion Williams inside said, don't mess up my uh, playoff streak. Williams uh, eventually did mess up the playoff streak, but he's the fact that he's one of those guys that's going to say it how it is. He's much more nicer about it than like Jimmy Butler was, but you know, he definitely, I think his presence in the locker room was definitely missed this past season. Not only for the Sixers, but maybe for Brett Brown, because he did love it like Brett Brown, obviously, because Brett Brown, Used him to the maximum of his ability. Imagine if, you know, like Doc Rivers, for example, would have used JJ like that in the prime of his career 
or Stan Van Gundy did. You know, Stan Van Gundy barely played uh, JJ in Orlando until like his second to last season there. So I'm just saying, I think JJ would have had a much better career if coaches used him like Brett Brown did. But um, no, the front office definitely done messed up. Did Go did Lucas it. just make a reference to the AA Ron skit? Yeah, with the substitute yes. teacher. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. I'm very hey, glad Ron, you, that up. you didn't mess up, Jay Quellen. I got my eyes on you, Jay Quellen. <laughs> exactly. That was I a good pull, that. man. I I picked up on that. That was a pretty good pull. Thank you, thank you. I I love uh, I love Keaton Peel. That that got me through college. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but no, you don't messed up, the Ron. Now go take yourself to Oshag Hennessy's office. You mean O'Shaughnessy's uh, office? Get out, <laughs> Chris. Chris, did you you saw that right? Did you see that of episode? Of okay, course. that that okay. is such a classic, classic move. Then I like how you tied that in, Lucas. Well, I mean, it's that's what it made me think of when he said that. I was like, well, they done messed up, eh, Ron? <laughs> no, me and my friends say that all the time to each other. But um, no, yeah, no, they did mess up. But uh, you're right, you're right. That was a that was a callback to Keen Peel's famous uh, substitute teacher. Skit. Yeah, no, I think a that was a great reference, Lucas. And yeah, I think obviously JJ is correct with pretty much everything he said. Um, I'm probably would be more inclined to say the on-court stuff was more important because I think they really missed um, JJ's just decisiveness as a shooter and his ability to create offense without really even touching the basketball. I think that's something that they leaned on quite a bit in the Brett Brown years uh, before his departure and it's something they missed a lot last season. I mean, if anyone benefited from the Brett Brown era, it was JJ Redick. I mean, mm-hmm. the dude made a lot of money just from being in Brett Brown's system. So, but JJ deserves a ton of credit again for his leadership. I think the Sixers thought Al Horford would fill that void. Uh, mm. And Al, I'm sure, is a fine, fine dude and a fine leader, quote unquote. But I, I think it's abundantly clear that he just might not be as aggressive or as vocal as the Sixers needed from their, you know, core veterans uh, this past season. Josh Richardson and Tobias both stepped up in a big way towards the end, but it was a little bit too little, too late. They really needed someone like Jimmy Butler, but we all know how that happened or how that how that went down. <laughs> But yeah, I think he's 100% correct. No, I don't think they're going to trade for him because it would probably require Josh. And I'm just not sure, you know, JJ's worth it. Again, like you said, he's just too old um, for a trade like that to really be, you know, for them to really get bang for their buck there. But Are you sure we just can't trick David Griffin into taking Forcon in a first-round pick? Hey, Thoughts? I mean... If they really hate JJ for some reason, then maybe. But <laughs> I, I think JJ. I mean, he did a lot in the bubble for them. He, he looked pretty <laughs> stupendous, and uh, he's a great fit next to Zion. Again, a great leader to have in the locker room. So I don't see them trading him for, for peanuts, which is really all the Sixers have at this point. Uh, we got to move on now to talk about Jimmy Butler. Um, there's a report from Zach Harper at the, at the blah, of The Athletic. He basically said that Jimmy did not think Simmons' quote, mental makeup was on par with him and Joel Embiid. That's something we've all kind of, you know, deduced, I think, at this point, is that 
maybe Jimmy and Ben weren't on the same wavelength. Um, obviously, him and Joel were tremendous friends, and they're still buddies to this day. It's a very different relationship between Jimmy and Ben. Lucas, what were your thoughts on on that report? Not surprised. I think uh, based off you know the fact that um, we we've seen several reports. Uh, you know, we knew that Joel and Jimmy were a lot closer. Uh, you never saw Ben and G- Joel or Ben and Jimmy ever sit together after. Post-game pressers, we saw that with Joel and Jimmy, so I'm not surprised there. I'm also, uh, you know, we looked at that Jackie McMullen piece uh, during the hiatus detailing men's mental barriers regarding three-point shooting, and that that kind of, that, that was another sticking point that kind of makes me think that Ben's not super mentally strong at least in pertains to being confident in his offensive skill set. And then we also saw, uh, and I think we talked about this the, the right after the playoffs, that Chris Haynes dropped an article saying that Ben didn't like it when Jimmy called him out before a game against the Nets, telling him what he should be doing against the Nets. I think we also uh, uh, we talked about that report. So this this doesn't surprise me at all. And it just kind of confirms the fact that at least on offense, which is kind of what people need to be killers on until in order to win championships, that Ben isn't a killer. And we kind of already knew that. And this kind of this further puts icing on that cake. Yeah. So I agree. I think I believe it. I'm sure that's what Jimmy thought. I have no doubts about that. But again, it's pretty clear that this was like a leak from Jimmy Butler's camp. Uh, so there's obviously a bias there to try to make Jimmy look good. I'm probably like the number one Jimmy Butler fan in like the Sixers blogosphere at this point. I love the dude. He's corny in the best way. But he's also super obsessed with maintaining his image as like this no-nonsense, hardworking I mean, it's pretty clear that he has, like, an image he wants to maintain. And this is part of that. Do I buy this as, like, a negative slant against Ben or some big issue that we need to blow up and talk about? Not really. I think Ben is fine being a non-confrontational, kind of quiet, maybe sit back and, you know, just do his thing. I, I don't think that's a problem. You obviously need conflicting maybe perspectives in the locker room and guys to hold them accountable, like Jimmy maybe tried to do. You need those fiery personalities, but I don't think it's an issue really with Ben individually. He obviously works his tail off on the court. He worked his tail off much harder than Jimmy on the court for much of that last season when Jimmy was in Philadelphia. So in terms of like on-court effort, I don't think there's really any like conversation to be had there. Ben works his butt off. So uh, you know, it, it is what it is. I think this is really just Jimmy trying to maintain his image and in the process, maybe kind of tear down the teams that let him go. Well, it's I, really you know, a nothing burger for me. I, I'm going to jump in here, Chris, because you, you, when you started talking, it made me think about something. We know that Jimmy and Joel love playing with each other. And there's, you know, there's been rumors uh, I think it's no secret that you know they lo- Jimmy would love to play with Joel again. What if this is Jimmy's way of trying to you know put some ire between the two stars and maybe force Joel the you know get Joel to try to come to the Heat? 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not impossible. Um, I think. I mean, Joel that does... might just be conspiracy theorist me, but I mean, connect rumblings before in the past about this, the, the heat and the. And yeah, I mean, if, if Joel does eventually force his way out, I think Miami is definitely a team to watch. Uh, those guys love each other. I mean, they're great friends. They were harmonious on the court together. Uh, of course, Joel, I'm sure, would love to play with Jimmy again. And the Heat have a tremendous culture. They know how to build a team. Can't always say the same about Philly. Um, so, sure, <laughs> it's it's possible. And that's a pretty good segue, I think, into our next point. Um, in a recent report from Keith Pompey, it was a report, I, I think it's important to point this out. The report was about the coaching search. And this is very much just like a small aside, really a throwaway line. But Keith compared Joel and Ben to Kobe and Shaq and said in the report, I believe explicitly that they don't get along. I don't know if he meant that. I know a lot of aggregators kind of latched on almost like erroneously and um, a bit. uh, Yeah, it it wasn't great. I, I think that was blown out of proportion bit irresponsible how some people ran with that quote but it is notable um what was your read on that lucas do you think that relationship is really a problem do you think there's a real divide there because obviously with kobe and Shaq, they were like that that was toxic that 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 was was a toxic. toxic you could not reconcile that relationship they obviously won championships together but I, I just have never been given any real reason to think that Joel and Ben are like that. I think we all know that they aren't best friends and that their interests sort of diverge off the court. But in terms of like getting along in the locker room and on the court, I, I just don't don't know if I see that. What were your thoughts on that? I don't. I, I think maybe using the Kobe and Shaq comparison wasn't the best one that Keith could have gone with and you know but that you know it, it is what it is when he made that comparison I don't think it's quite that toxic in terms of you know where they maybe it could get that toxic but I don't think it'll be that toxic it's not that toxic right now I don't I wouldn't even say that it's toxic I just think that they're not friends I don't I think that's no secret but I think you know Joel has said and you know we got to I think we have to take it at face value of what Joel said because he said he has no problem with Ben and that he he loves playing with Ben and he's trying to sacrifice what he can to help Ben be his best. And he just, the only thing is that he hopes that Ben can return the favor. And I don't, and maybe that's where the problem is, is that Ben hasn't been returning the favor. Maybe that's that's where the issue is. On, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that goes back to Ben's shooting. Um, but, like, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a hard task for Rivers. Yeah, I mean, I think this upcoming season is going to be extremely pivotal in terms of just determining the direction of this franchise. If things go south, I think it's very... I think trade one of them. Yeah, if things go south again this upcoming season, then we maybe have to talk about trading one. Maybe that relationship gets worse if they kind of flame out again. But up to this point, Joel has gone out of his way to praise Ben. He's gone out of his way to, as you said, give Ben the room he needs to work inside and, and do what he does best. And he has explicitly said, I believe on the rights to Ricky Sanchez, 
that he wants to play with Ben for the rest of his career. And he said things of that variety on multiple occasions. You know, I think they both recognize how good they are and that it's not that common to get two, like, 26 and under superstars on the same team, even if the fit isn't perfect. Yeah, I we don't have Keith here to, you know, ask him about it, but I don't think he meant that as literally as some people were taking it. I don't think this is a Kobe Shaq mm-hmm. situation. I don't think their personalities yeah. are even, like, I don't think they are, like, personally capable of recreating that situation because that's just not who they are well, as people. Um, well, maybe Joel is because he's very similar to Shaq in some ways, but I don't think he has Shaq's toxic uh, characteristics either. Yeah, I mean, Joe's a pretty laid-back dude. Uh, on the court, he can be gregarious and all that, but off the court, it's pretty clear that Joe's pretty chill and Shaq is not. So I don't even also, know if I would make that comparison. Joel for his first and by the way, we need to congrats Joel for his firstborn child. Congrats, Joel. Uh, hope you, your your uh, your uh, girlfriend and your uh, it, it is his girlfriend, right? I think girlfriend, yes. his partner, his partner and your child are healthy and that they remain healthy, and you have you enjoy fatherhood. That's for sure. Hundred percent. Congrats to Joe. But yeah, I, I really don't think there's a problem with Joel and Ben at this point. We'll see what happens. We'll check back in next offseason. But as of now, I think it's fine. And we're going to toss it over to Uriah for our social media question of the week. Here we go, guys. The social media question of the week. We put it out there since we had the new hire of a new coach, Doc Rivers. And of course, there's the all the big question about the moves that Elton Brand will and can make. The question is, which move is more important? Doc Rivers' new locker room culture or Elton Brand's roster decisions? And based on our Twitter responses, we had an overwhelming, an overwhelming response most people said that Elton Brand's decisions. We had 92 people chime in and say that they wanted uh, Elton Brand's decisions to resonate and have a positive effect on the Sixers offseason. And only nine people said that Doc Rivers' culture was was important to them. So, uh, and if I look at just a few people that chimed in um, and typed some things, very loyal follower, Urban Sports Urban Esports report said culture can't culture can't change bad spacing and guys playing out of position. Get rid of Horford, bring in Heald, who's been ready to come to Philly, and don't give your coach square pegs to put in the round holes. A few more. Ben said what Elton Brand does is more important. And Stephen Thames said both. So what do you guys think? Do you think it's the culture that Doc brings, or do you think it's more Elton Brand? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with the last comment that both are important. But I also agree with the person who said that, you know, you need to set the roster before you build the culture. Um, A lot of how this team gets along and how they work in the locker room is going to depend on how well they, they play together on the court. And if it's a repeat of last season where people are frustrated offensively, where Joe can't really get into a rhythm, where Tobias is misused, where Al is maybe on the bench despite his contract and not really thrilled with his role, then the culture is inevitably going to suffer. So what Doc does in that locker room is going to be important, especially after what we heard 
from the players specifically um, after after they got eliminated and what they said about Brett Brown. Again, going back to that Josh Richardson quote about accountability. But yeah, you've got to have like a roster that makes sense logically before you can even talk about like a championship mindset or whatever we want to talk about with Doc. So I definitely think it's Elton first, Doc second. It's kind of like 1A and 1B, like when uh, the Sixers drafted uh, Michael Bridges and then traded for Zaire Smith. Um, obviously, not with the disastrous results that that has been thus far, but um, in terms of what's important, they're both highly important, and they sh- they're number one in each, but Ellen Brand's move is definitely a 1A thing, and Doc Rivers' culture is 1B. At the end of the day, like Chris said, and like everybody else has been saying, it's it's, it's brand's moves. There has to be moves this offseason. Preferably in the front not just with players, but in the front office, but it doesn't seem like the front office is really going to change that much, if at all, in terms of personnel. But, you know, brand's roster decisions is obviously a big factor in who he drafts, because honestly, I think that maybe they should just try to keep the pick and not trade if they can if they can trade another pick in the future versus this year's pick. I think I'd rather do that to be honest. Yeah, no, that's what I would do. But I mean, not the point. Um, I, I I would say Lucas and Chris that I would take the opposite position. I think it's I think it's not that I'm trying to be a contrarian, but I think that a lot of discussions we've had over the few weeks, the past few weeks has been continuity. And we know that Brett Brown did not have his finger on the pulse of this team. He had a bad system. He could not inspire or motivate his star point guard to shoot a jump shot, even though he had a a relationship with his father. And I think when you remove him from the equation and you bring in this new factor, this new this new personality, this new credible head coach who's been around, who played in the 80s. I remember watching Doc Rivers play for the the Atlanta Hawks with Dominique Wilkins. Just a really good, solid player, cerebral type guy. He comes into this now, and if he can take these pieces that are already here, maybe he can do something within the system, within his vision, and he can make it work. So I would say the culture is paramount in that he will hold players accountable. He's not going to take any crap. He's If Ben refuses to shoot, maybe he decreases his minutes a little bit. I don't know. Maybe he puts some fire under his butt and challenges him to, to step up to the plate because Brett Brown wasn't doing it, right? Brett Brown didn't, didn't have well, the cojones to, to come at him like that. Well, I, I will say, I think we're, we're maybe I, – I think Brett maybe deserves a bit more credit I think last season was him basically trying to win a hundred yard dash and starting a hundred yards behind the like starting point. I mean, the dude was just not given the right hand. Um, he publicly challenged Ben to shoot on multiple occasions. I don't know what more he could have done there. I mean, he went to the media and was like, I want Ben to shoot one per game. Tell his agent, tell his family, tell him. I mean, what, at he talked to his point, family privately too. At some at some point, that's just on Ben. Ben's not going to shoot. That's that is that's the situation. But I th- but I think Chris, well, that's, that 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 leads to my point is you that was Brett Brown. He did as much as he could, and his good wasn't good enough. So you bring in this new coach, 
who Ben now, he doesn't have that luxury of saying, oh, this guy, I knew this guy when I was growing up. He used to come by my house. He coached my dad. You know, I can get away with this, that, and the third. No, he's he has to deal with a, a potentially Hall of Fame head coach who won a championship in 2008 with KG, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. And he's going to look him in the eye and say, you know what, coach, I, I don't know if I'm comfortable shooting. Nah, screw that. Nah, like you were the head coach. You come in, you set a culture, and if Ben doesn't step up to the plate, then he's gone. That would be okay. me as the general manager. But I know how you feel about Ben. You guys want to coddle him, but I'm just done with him. If he doesn't shoot with Doc Rivers, I'm getting rid of him. That's just me. Okay. I, think, I, I, I think, understand, but, yeah. like, again, I really don't think Ben is the type of player where him shooting is is really long-term – going to change all that much. I don't think he's ever going to be that kind of shooter. I don't think we can reasonably expect it. It's just not what we're going to get out of him. And I, I mean, Brett Brown's culture was by all accounts pretty solid up until really last season or maybe the Jimmy Butler trade. Obviously him and Jimmy didn't see eye to eye, but it, it wasn't like Brett Brown was always kind of like the odd man out in the locker room. Guys wouldn't listen to him. I think we all remember the video of him getting showered after that Heat series, the first playoff win with Joe and Ben. I think, I mean, Joe and Ben used to talk glowingly about Brown, and so did the other guys on the roster. We've heard it from JJ, who continuously says that he loves Brett Brown. I think a lot of this starts with the front office not giving him pieces that make any sense and that can succeed. I don't think there's any coach in the league that can make Al Horford work with the current group but that's, but no chris, but chris maybe chris. the piece maybe the piece to succeed is ben himself maybe that, ben is part did, of the they, problem they <laughs> maybe he's part of the problem we have chris, seen they the did. sixers take the raptors to seven games and lose at the last bounce with ben not taking a three at all in that series we we know that the sixers can be a contender with ben not shooting we we have hard evidence of them being an extremely good basketball team with, with Jimmy Butler, with Jimmy Butler on the okay. team, with Jimmy Butler's but, on the team, he's not here anymore. <laughs> all right, but put decent pieces around him who fit and make sense, and that's on the front office. Hey. We know who Ben is. Ben is what he is, and I think it's unfair to say that he's the problem when the front office hasn't made any effort to. We will. Him we will agree. Oh, we right, will guys, agree guys, to guys, disagree. Guys. No, we will agree yeah. to disagree. And if you want to coddle Ben, more power to you. But the guy makes thirty million a year, and we saw what Jamal Murray and all these other guys could player. do. Mm, he's, I don't know, Chris. Lucas, get in here and break us up, Lucas. Break us up. I'm, I'm trying to. You guys aren't letting me. No, <laughs> no, no, I have to. I have to say this to your eyes point. Remember that Jack and McMullen piece, and I go back to this a lot because this really gave us a good look in on Ben Psyche. Ben's high school coach gave Ben tough love. And he said every time he gave Ben tough love, Ben responded. Ben said it himself. He needed somebody to keep him accountable. Doc Rivers is that guy. And the other thing that we have to remember is the Sixers, and it was reported at the time, the, Sixers, the reason why the Sixers gave him that contract is because they were they betted on him developing into that, that superstar talent. That he was okay. going to develop his game and become a three-point shooter. That was the reason he got that Supermax contract extension. If the Sixers were only going to give Ben a max contract under the assumption that he became a proficient three-point shooter, then they were idiots. 
honestly, <laughs> come on. I mean, again, Brett Brown was like handed a bowl of mud and told to make a chocolate cake. It just was not going to happen last year. Was well, Brett, Brett Brown should have been fired last, no. last off season. He should have been fired last. Have. I will stand by that. I think Brett he was should've. a fine coach. I think the front office should have gotten fired. But agree there again. I just Chris, don't know I think you could have done. I think I'm I think somebody somebody's perfect. eating muddy chocolate cake right now, and then that might I'm be not Chris saying Brett was perfect or Ben is perfect or that they don't have character flaws. But at the end of the day, you got a top twenty dude who can defend his butt off and who creates more shots for teammates than pretty much anyone else in basketball. It's because he it's because he's that. afraid to shoot as he's afraid to shoot. Okay. There's a direct correlation between his his reluctance to shoot and the assists he gets off of his there passes. There are very few perfect players in the NBA. Pretty much <laughs> everyone outside of LeBron has one or two critical flaws that can be exploited. But, 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 in Chris, the wrong the problem situation. is he could be LeBron if he was just willing to shoot. If he he's was willing not to shoot, be he would be the he's never going to be the score LeBron is. He could not. Well, he he's could not be. that kind of he no. could be. If he just was willing to shoot, he could be LeBron. He could be the next he LeBron. Not. He could be better than LeBron, Lucas. He could be better than LeBron. That LeBron is. He could LeBron be because he's already better rebounder or passer than LeBron ever. Well, I well maybe except for the season passing, but <laughs> he's already a better rebounder than LeBron, better defender than LeBron himself. But I mean, that's like that's like saying John Wall could be better than Steph if he just shot better. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. not going to happen. The difference is that yeah. John is willing to shoot. Ben is exactly. Ben. It's a willingness. Okay. That's what it is. It's a willingness Even if to ben shoot. Ben was willing to shoot. He would not shoot as well as LeBron. I can almost guarantee that. He's just not a volume scorer like. That. Well, guess what? It's LeBron wasn't happen. a great shooter when he started, but he grew into that. He grew into that. He I was a terrible understand. shooter. They are different the people, though, and different players and different builds. It, this is not the same. All right, we we will we will live to fight another day in this battle, Chris. All uh, right. I respect your right. and I hope you respect mine. But we're gonna we're, uh, head this out. Yes, I think it's that time for you to play us out because I think this <laughs> this, this, this this conversation is not going anywhere. And our our fans have I think listened to us. Uh, I think we've reached our time here. So Chris, play us out. Please. All right. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Ben Simmons Podcast. <laughs> we will be back next week. We really appreciate you all for listening. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you again next week. Bye, y'all. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.